Recognizes 
the level of reality which is seen by those who do not have that eye of wisdom. The educated vision recognizes the reality which is seen by the educated vision. But it also sees something more. Something which is dramatically and drastically more. So that is what we will try to acquire today. The Gyaunda Chakshu with respect to Deity worship. Now, let's start first with the basic concept. Does God have a form? So now, with our own logic, we can go both ways. We can say, so all of us have a form, God is a supreme power, so we also must have a form. Otherwise, how did he get a form? On the other hand, we can argue that, okay, God is unlimited. God is everywhere. And a form is limited. So therefore, God does not have a form. So we can argue both ways. And therefore, by our argumentation, we cannot come very conclusive understanding. And therefore, Tarako Pratishtha Shatalogudena. We will discuss these arguments later in the class on the way. But, just as if we want to understand what is gravity, we can't just simulate with our own mind. We have to look at textbooks on physics. So like that, you have to look at the textbooks which talk about God and the scriptures. So we will start the scriptures of the true religions, and then we will come to the Vedic insights. So, now, many people feel that the worship of God is anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic means anthropos is human and morphism is form. So, because we have a human-like form, so we have imagined that God also has a human-like form. So, that is, is the worship of God like that? So, people have imagined like that. But, you see, in all the religions of the world, uh, if you look at the Bible first, there are dozens of verses, we just give a few samples over here, such as Exodus. Exodus is an important section of the Bible. Then there are numbers. So, not only that, even in the, the eyes of the Lord, the face of the Lord, the samples of the Lord, and the most famous is man is made in the image of God. That's the second. Now, where is it said that God is made in the image of man? Is that said anywhere? No, it is not. So, it's not only in the Bible, even the Quran. In the Quran, we have the face of Allah which is talked about in the... So, as we know, Shina Pagam, this is Shahad Mukharama. So, the Islamic religion has two main sources of scripture. This is the one is the Quran, which is the revealed word of the Prophet. Uh, and the Hadith are the description of his life. So there are six hadiths. So one of the most authoritative ones among them, what is Abhiraya is So there are many references to the face of Allah, eyes of Allah, foot of Allah, hand of Allah, so finger of Allah, throne of Allah. He will keep on invoking Allah till Allah will laugh because of his saying. And when Allah will laugh because of him, he will say. So Allah will laugh. Now, how can a non-personal light laugh? Isn't it? The idea will make us laugh. <laughs> so, now, among people try to argue, oh, actually, these are all metaphorical. This is not going to take a little. Actually, this is all uh, metaphorical description. But is that terrible description? Uh, whenever these verses come, either in the Bible or the Quran, there is no reference that is metaphorical. And not only that, they are used again and again and again. Not just once or twice. We just discuss a few words, but these are also repeated. 
So, if we say that the scriptures are using a metaphor and they are using it repeatedly, then actually we are implying that the scriptures are misleading us rather than leading us. That means we can't take the scripture as authority, we have to use our own brain as authority to go beyond the word of the scripture. Then what is the need for a scripture? We are just relying on our brain, not on our scripture. Not on the scripture at all. So, not only in the religions of the world, but even in the Vedic tradition, there are abandoned references to the form of God. So, we just go on and on over here. Then, no sense of understanding. Now, Shiva Bhagavatam. Uh, describes God's form in many sections. So, second canto, fourth canto, seventh canto, tenth canto, they describe first of all the form of the Paramatma in the heart. And the tenth canto especially describes the form of Krishna who resides in the Now, this form is very specific. Vedu Pananda Maravinda Dhanayasakshan. As the Lord is playing a few, he is has a lotus eye, he is a peacock feather, he has a bluish black complexion. So now, for many people, this sounds a very strange form. So, when one of our, when the early days of this form, and Ashtra Prabhupada decided to hire Guru Prabhu, he was known as Howard Rivers. He was a professor of English in Ohio State University. So, when he was uh, teaching English, he was also teaching Krishna consciousness. So, one day, his principal called him. I told him, I heard you are talking about God in your classes. So, he was very intelligent and somewhat cheeky. Is there any law in this college that we can't talk about God? No, that is not the point. But we are talking about a strange conception of God. When you have no conception of God, how can you call my conception a strange? (laughs) 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 But I have heard you are saying God is black. So, you know, they are in, the, in those days they have this whole civil rights movement, so white and black. <laughs> God is black? No, he's blue. <laughs> I heard you say that God is a cowboy. You know, they have this cowboy movies, the people who are the <laughs> horses with cat and guns. No, he's not a cowboy, he's a coward boy. <laughs> so, I said, Prabhupada, when he left, you know, the, the notion of Krishna as God was very strange. Very, very strange. Why? Because although the religious traditions do talk about God and they describe some aspect of God's form, his eyes, his hands, his legs, but there is no description of the details of God's form. There is no description of that. Now, what is the reason for that? We will discuss that again a little bit later. But, the different religious scriptures are given by the same God according to time, place, circumstance, elevate people in their understanding. So, to elevate people in their understanding, God gives the same message according to what people can take. Now, if we look at the Bible and the Quran, there are very elevating stories, there are moral codes. But the systematic philosophical understanding of this world or the theological understanding of God is just not there. And with all due respect, this is not just a matter of uh, sectarian arrogance, it is a matter of objective reality. If we look at those pages, there is no description of God's form. So the 
I'm only letting you get used to understanding this, that if a student wants to learn English, use a dictionary. Now there's a pocket dictionary, and there's another English dictionary. Both use the same, essentially. So the Bible, the Quran, the different scriptures are like in pocket dictionary. And the very tradition, the literature, the very tradition, the Bhagavad Gita, the Shivabhagavatam, all these are like the unabridged tradition. Now we are here. Because we belong to the Vedic tradition, it's very good. We are saying our, our scriptures are right. It's not like that. It's based on content. And it's not that in all situations the unabridged dictionary is better. It's not that in all situations the unabridged dictionary is better. Because if you take one word in a pocket dictionary, epithet, it means praise. But if you look at epithet and unabridged dictionary, it will have 15 minutes. It means praise, it also means insult. So how can you say what would you differentiate? Actually, if somebody is to use an unabridged dictionary, if he is not an experienced reader himself, he can get confused. So similarly, the literature is so vast and so widely encompassing people of different mentality that without the guru, we get confused about the literature. So, actually the Vedic literature gives a comprehensive understanding of God's form. Now many people see that, oh, Vedic literature says that God is, that absolute truth is Brahman, is Guru, Nirankar, without form, without qualities. Do they say that? Yes, do they say? They do they say that. But that is not the only thing that they say. For example, the Vedic literature, Shetaji He says, that Lord, He has no hands. But he accepts whatever we offer. He has no legs, but he goes wherever he calls him. Wherever his devotee is calling. Pashyatya chakshu, Pashyatya chakshu. Pashyatya chakshu. He sees without his eyes. He has no ears, but he hears. Now, this sort of description is very paradoxical. It's not contradictory, it's paradoxical. Contradictory means there are two opposite things, which don't make sense. Paradoxical means two opposite things are stated so that a deeper understanding can be revealed. So, as, as to solve paradoxes, uh, one needs to do a postulation. In very epistemology, uh, it is called an arthapati. So, let's consider a paradox to understand this. So, imagine there is a boy. Nowadays, people are using fasting as a political tool to get things done. So, somebody is fasting. So imagine there is a uh, boy, say Ravi, who is fasting. And Ravi, uh, <coughs> Ravi is fasting every day. And the second you observe, Ravi is fasting throughout the day. And second day, Ravi is waiting in the Now, how do you understand this? <laughs> Ravi is fasting throughout the day, and Ravi is waiting in the So how do you understand this? Yeah, you say, Ravi is eating secretly at night. <laughs> so, if both statements are true, it is not a contradiction, it is a paradox. And the paradox has to be resolved by postulating a third statement which resolves that, which keeps both of them true without being mutually contradictory. So, the Vedic scriptures, do they say that God is Nirgun Nirakar? Yes, they do say that. But, 
दे ऑल्सो सेल एज बॉडीज सेवन
by Mulwad Givita. <laughs> so, what happened? The Jagdish was limited. So, the point is that matter, whether it is with form or without form, is limited. Just by removing form, we don't make it unlimited. So, the idea that form will limit God is based on the materialistic notion of God. So, if we say God does not have a form, then we can argue further and say, okay, if a form limits God, then if God has, so that's why God will get only one thing. If God has a form, okay, so you only hear of God, it's not everything. But if we are just going to take this material conception, material logic forward, and say God does not have a form, then we are saying, okay, form limits God, form keeps him there. But if he has no form, then he will be nowhere. <laughs> it's not that he will be everywhere, he will be nowhere. So the point is that material logic doesn't work with respect to God. So God has a spiritual form. And spiritual form means that because spirit is different from matter, spirit has the potential of having form and the same time being unlimited. And that's why you know when Mother Ishoda asks open your mouth. Now most of the time when people open their mouths, they see some teeth and often there are some germs in the teeth and the teeth have become discolored. Or anti-color color. <laughs> 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 so, when Father Krishna opened the mouth, what happened? Saw the whole universe. And he not only saw the whole universe, she saw Vrindavan and she saw herself and she saw herself looking at Krishna's mouth. So, now how is this possible? This is because Krishna's form is not like our form. It is being spiritual, potentially all pervading. So God is all-pervading because His form is spiritual, not because He is formless. So therefore, the things which is in the progressive understanding. First understand that God's form is not material, that's why Arupaya. But at the spiritual level, God is very formed. So, now, can that form of God manifest through matter as deities? So, there are two extremes. Some people say that Actually, God is entirely beyond matter. And some people say, actually, if you ascribe any material, uh, if you ascribe material form to God, then what will happen is, you are contaminating God. So you are contaminating God. So, one of our devotee scholars, he was earlier from a Muslim background. I won't mention names, because of obvious reasons. So, uh, he was from Muslim background and he was in another Middle East country and he was a typical youth who had been educated with the Western skeptical mindset and he went to the mosque and the mosque uh, priest was talking about how Allah is so great and Allah is this and Allah is that. So just out of, uh, uh, if have some fun, he checks. He says, if you say God, Allah is everywhere, is it that he's soon also? He's not so angry, he's <laughs> Get out of here! Get out of here! How can you blaspheme Allah like this? And then, just got out and he said he was never going to anymore. Then he went to the West, he got education, very intelligent person. Then when he was educated, you know, because of the excellent influence, he got into some... He used to go to parties and things like One time when he was in a party, he just got a little too high. And then, <laughs> when he was in, he went too high, and he went, after you go high, he crushed out, so he went unconscious. 
So the other people in the party, they took him out of the party and they put him in a godown. A middle of the office. And then, he came back to consciousness. So he was groggy because of the And then he looked around, it's all dark everywhere. And it was dark. He saw, uh, there's a one beam of light coming in one corner. And that beam of light fell on one book. And that book, I was looking. God is everywhere. All his grogginess went away. And if you got no adventure, that was a back to God in that. And then he was shocked. And he opened it. And he read it. And then God is spiritual. And because he is spiritual, he is entirely beyond matter. And because he is beyond matter, matter cannot contaminate. So, Krishna can come as a Shukara Rupa. Shukara is as a boar. Now, generally a boar or a pig or a hog is not a very respectable animal. But if the Prabhupada, as he talks about Shukara Rupa, he Shukara Rupa is translated as Lord Boar. Why <laughs> Lord Boar? Because God is trying to be. So, now, now the Prabhupada in the early days, when he would so again, this thing has improved. One day he was just typing something for Prabhupada. At that time, uh, Prabhupada came. So he was about to get up, he was typing on a typewriter. He was laying and trying to push away. So Prabhupada, hey, don't put that in your leg. It is sacred. He was typing Krishna as he was a typewriter. It is sacred. So he was a new devotee at that time. So he was a little off. You mean to say that a typewriter is more sacred than my leg? Transcendence. 
and some of them too access is only so many people they feel that god is so sacred so pure that actually god is beyond this world he is transcendental to this world beyond this world so yes god is unlimited god is beyond this world but also god is unlimited and beyond this world god is not just concerned with being supreme god is concerned with making himself available to us so god paratva is a truth is transcendent is supremacy is a truth but a greater truth is that god loves all of us and because of his love for all of us he makes himself accessible to us and that accessibility is is a saugavat the ease of okay ease of making himself available to us so god concern primarily is not to maintain his supremacy it is to elevate all of us and our compassion the unlimited becomes limited one of the successes of ramachari kala lokachari says is that krishna comes to deity what is his compassion he says the unlimited becomes limited the all powerful becomes apparently powerless the supreme becomes ordinary so that the child soul can touch him serve him love him this is the supreme compassion of ishwar so we want to pray to god if we want to pray there is no form you know generally in all other religions when people say we are i am going to the church i am going to the mosque i am going to the synagogue to worship god but generally in the religious tradition people say i am going to temple not to worship but to take worship yes worship is one part of the primary take worship why because the eyes are the most powerful among all the senses and if the eyes don't get spiritual engagement there is dryness down to the engagement so therefore krishna with his compassion manifests the beautiful beauty so that we can learn we can use our eyes to see the beauty is to be attracted to the beauty of this world we can be attracted to the supreme beauty of krishna so now shall we say this can be understood only after many many lifetimes om namo jagannathante so now in what way is the deity the same as krishna so the lord comes as deity now as lord came as sinner they are also manifested to the soul and some people say you people in the religion today you worship everything you worship stones you worship hills you worship rocks you worship everything Now, is that true? Actually, even Nasir had emerged from the pillar. What did Allah Maharaj do? He did not embrace. He did not garland the pillar. He garlanded Nasir. So God is present everywhere, but He manifests in particular ways. I mean, manifests in particular ways. So manifestations are worshipped. So we respect the pillar also, but we worship not the pillar. Worship God manifests through the pillar. So now, how does God manifest in the deity? So, Shri Prabhupada would give the example of a postbox. When a postbox, any person wants to present his mail, and so submission versus submission. If somebody wants to send his send a post, so at that time he has to find a red. Authorized government post box and put the mail over there. If the person just pays the red in the post box in the far away, I just pay the red box outside my house. So then, does that lead to the mail going where it is supposed to go? No. So like that, it's not that any form can be worshipped. There is the authorization. 
You say, what difference does the organization make? Yes, it makes a huge difference. That's the other example one is. So, if we have, you know, a bona fide note in a new Now, both are made of paper. But is there a difference? Those who don't think there is a difference, we can just use your own money for There's no difference under it. You didn't turn it off to Rada For imagine that the mother, mother is a child. No, when my dear child, whenever you see any piece of paper lying around anywhere, hear it and go to the hospital. But at once the father is gone out of the office in a hurry, and a thousand rupees note has fallen out of his pocket. A child, a paper, in a moment, ah, stop, 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 the mother screams it. You only don't be clear paper. This is not paper. This is Lakshmi Devi. <laughs> what? Lakshmi Devi? Paper. You think this is only paper? Yes. What do you like? So I will check this. So okay. Let us take. You order the paper and go to a shop. And see whether it is ready. No, I am not ready. Okay. You take this paper and go to a shop. He goes to the paper and takes the shop. And what happens? He gets so many chocolates. So actually, the difference between a currency note and ordinary paper has to be understood by intelligence and realized through experience. So the child has to understand. There can be a difference between ordinary paper and currency note. And how do you experience it? By going purchase. So like that, it is ordinary store and then the deal. The difference has to be understood by intelligence and has to be realized by experience. If you go in front of ordinary store and pray, it's not a thing. It prays a lot. We experience the peace, the power, the presence, the pleasure that comes by that. Now, Shri Shri Rabha Gopinath Bhagavan Ki Jai Gopal Ji Ki Jai Gaur Sai Bhagavan Ki Jai So, now, okay, now we understand that God has to have a form. And God has a form. And also that, that form can manifest through matter, provided it is authorized. The form is authorized. But even after God is manifesting as an authorized form, in what way is the deity related to God? So, here in the ritual philosophical section, there are two kinds of symbolisms. One is called ascending and the second is descending. So, see you this connection. So, ascending symbolism means that there is a flag. So now India has a flag, a tribal. So now, if someone wants to express the patriotism of the country, you know, patriotism is an abstract conception. It's an abstract conception. So, I love India. Okay, how do you express love for India? The patriotic emotion comes not just by thinking of India. If you see the flag, and what happens? Yes, it is patriotic. Yes, patriotic sentiments come out. So, uh, in ascending symbolism, that is an abstract conception, and we use some concrete symbol to represent that abstract conception. So, the abstract conception is nation. The concrete symbol is the flag. And uh, by the connection, what happens is the emotions are woke. So now, 
Many people think that actually God is formless and a deity in a representation. Because for the formless you cannot feel bhakti, so that formless element is another. We have a formless. Now, actually, India has a triangle of that. But I mean, if India decides that actually now we are progressing in IT, I am considering not very important for us. So we don't know the green, we don't need the green color of that. We will have triangle of that. Can we do that? We can, can't we? Yes, we can. If the, the Indian government, the, 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 they decide to change the constitution, they can change it. Because between the concept of nationhood and the tricolor, the only factual connection is the mental conception. The only factual connection is the mental conception between the concept of nationhood, Indian nationhood, and the Indian flag. So, if people want, they can change it. They can change it. So, that means this idea is what? That there is no intrinsic connection. So, this is ascending That means, we with our imagination ascend upwards and ascribe, ascribe it at view a particular form for this particular conception. So now, there is another kind of symbolism called as descending symbolism. Now, descending symbolism means it's example for this is a photo. Now, if uh, we have a person and we take this photo. Now, the photo depicts the person and there is intrinsic, inseparable connection between them. Now, if a man and woman are married and the husband carries the photo of his wife around. And one day he comes back home and his wife sees there is some other photo. Is. So the wife will say, I'll think of you, I'll just change my husband. <laughs> so, actually, in descending symbolism, there is an inseparable concern, connection between what is symbolized and the way it is symbolized. So the person is a real entity and the photo is a real representation of that person. And we can't change the photo and think that it is the same person. So like that, an individual describes that God has an original eternal form. And that form is revealed in the scriptures. The great things like Yasuda, in the deep trance, Shri Bhagavad in the 7th chapter, describes the mystical trance in which Yasuda enters. So in such trances, by that spiritual vision, they see the form of God. And then, that form of God, which they have seen with spiritual vision, they communicate to us with the words that they describe and the devotee artists, they depict it. The devotee sculptors, they depict it. So here, actually, the spiritual form is representative and material. But the representation is not arbitrary. The representation is intrinsically connected with what is actually the eternal reality. So now, uh, those of you who have read about the medical history of India, you may be aware about how so many Muslims, uh, they used to attack temples and they used to desecrate deities. So this actually is not just Catholic Islam, it's also been in the history of Christianity as well as Judaism. 
And the reason for this is something very important for us. That, as I said earlier, that God has a transcendental aspect, which is beyond matter, but God can also manifest in matter. But in these religious traditions, there is the understanding that God can manifest as matter is not there. So clear. Because the idea is, matter is so impure, so sinful, and God is so pure. How can God manifest in matter? You are contaminating God by ascribing a little form. And therefore, their idea is what? So the only idea they have is of a descending symbol, of a ascending symbol. That means, if God is some reality who is beyond our material conception, and then we ascribe some symbol to God. And what happens is, their idea is, that people, because they are unintelligent, they forget that actually beyond the symbol is some reality. And therefore they start adoring the symbol. And in this way, their idea is the symbol becomes a competitor to God. The symbol attracts to it the worship that is actually meant for God, who is supposed to be beyond the symbol, who is to be represented by the symbol. So therefore, wherever they see any symbol of God, they destroy that symbol. Because they think that the symbol is a competitor to God. But this conception arises primarily because they, they understanding that God is having his own form and that form can be manifested through matter. How? Because of God's accessibility, God's compassionate accessibility. It's not there so much. Now of course the human urge to depict the divine is there. And although forms of God are banned, you know, if we go to uh, mosques or uh, synagogues or especially the Protestant church, and they will have uh, floral decorations and geometric decorations. They say you cannot have any, any forms of God, but if you look at the Quran, the, Zenda, the uh, Hebrew Bible, the New Testament, the, what they will do is they will have elaborate patterns. In the windows they will have patterns of flowers, patterns of geometrical patterns. Because the human urge is to depict forms. So when that is denied artificially, it is expressed in some other way. Now of course, in some cases, some people try to depict the form. So, in, there is a famous chapel called the Sistani Chapel in, uh, in Italy. So, Michelangelo was told at that time to depict God giving out his grace to man. So, there he started. And he depicted man, he would depict man as a politician, still Adam, young, powerful, handsome, muscular. So, you see him on the list. And then, when he had to start depicting God, actually, he started looking, okay, what does God look like? He asked the local vision. He went after the Pope, nobody had any idea, he looked in the Bible, there was no idea. What does God look like? And finally he used his own uh, imagination and thought God is the oldest person. <laughs> God was the old man. And he depicted God as a old man. Now, now you look at this picture, you get a question. <laughs> Is it, you know, God or man? Is, man? is God rescuing man or is man rescuing God? <laughs> <laughs> so, now we can't blame Michael and Europe for this because there is no description of God form given in the biblical And now what happens is, every religion, there are open-minded people and there are fanatical people or there are egoistic people. 
So the egoistic people, if anything is not given in our scriptures, that means it is not there only. So if God's form is not given in our scriptures, that means either God does not have a form, or God's form is such that you cannot conceive of it. And because of this, if any other scripture, the form of God is given, uh, the form of God is depicted and we may think that actually this is just a simple And we destroy it. But the idea is, if there is a sincere seeker, just like if there is a student, and the student studies in IIT Mumbai, and he studies computer engineering, computer science, then if he wants to, uh, if he comes to an MIT, there is more advanced study of MIT, not uh, Indian MIT, the American MIT. Then there is more advanced computer science knowledge in So now, will you think, oh, I, I belong to IIT, I will not study anywhere else, I will only study in IIT. If he is really interested in computer science, he will see wherever there is knowledge of computer science available, take that. So, the different religions are like different educational institutions. And they are all meant to give us knowledge about God and to help us develop love for God. So now, if an IIT is so there are, you know, different, there are different uh, schools of thought. Some people say our religion is the only religion. And whatever is written in our scripture is the only truth. Nothing else, everything else is false. This is like a student from IIT saying, you know, only a student from my college is an engineer. Everybody else is bogus. <laughs> Everybody else is bogus. This is sheer narrow-minded. But some people say, you know, it is a broad mind. You know, all religions are true. All paths are true. This is like saying, all buildings are engineering qualities. <laughs> <laughs> Even more foolish actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have to have some objective criteria. Uh, what is the objective criteria? This is an engineering college. Well, LC, what kind of facilities are there? Technology facilities are there? What kind of professors are there? Most importantly, what kind of campus placement is there? So, there are objective criteria to decide what is the level of an engineering college. Similarly, and if these criteria are fit, we can understand that it's a good engineering college. So now if you look at the different religious traditions, all of them have to some extent uh, led to great saintly people who have been detached from the material world and completely attached to God. So in that sense, all the various religious traditions have their validity. But it is true that in the Vedic tradition, there is more information of God given than anywhere else. So if people say, no, if something is not given in our scripture, it is not true, it is not their own. Then you ask my dear friend, are you interested in God or are you interested in religion? Religion is a means to God. Religion is not the ultimate truth, common ultimate So wherever the knowledge of God is available, you should take it. You know, sometimes people would ask Shri Bhupa, now if, if Jesus is that Krishna is God, why did he not tell us? So Prabhupada said, you know, he told thou shalt not kill and they killed him only. <laughs> Uh, you just clearly said that there are many, there is much that I have to say, but you don't have the ears to hear. So, you know, so Prabhupada gets into lunch. He says, okay, if you don't accept Krishna as God, then tell us what is your conception of God. And then there is no conception of God. So then, if you don't have a conception of God, how can you so confidently say that Krishna is not God? <laughs> so, actually, 
the brain God is talking about in the Bible, the Quran, it's talking about the Vedic literature. But the Vedic literature even far more description of God. So now this, this sort of form is actually what is sending. You know, this is us ascending symbols. Now by our imagination, we ascribe a form to God. And this form, this sort of forms are desecrated. It's not a problem. But when there is a form of God which is depicted in the scripture, which is described in the scripture, and then that is depicted, then that is sacred. So this form, now compare this form of God with this form. So this is Krishna Hurikshayapur Sarvakarsha. So actually, the real scriptures give us an unparalleled revelation of God's future. So, how does God manifest through matter? That is by His omnipotency. Because God is all powerful and He is compassionate. So, all the matter is limited, He can manifest through matter also. Now, some skeptical people are like, oh, no, how can God manifest through matter? Actually, it is not possible. But then, you know, the, even the word of God is also manifesting through matter. Isn't it? The Bible, the Quran, the Old Testament, the Old Testament, is it that not made of matter? That is also made of matter. So, in that, how is that sacred? Some, some people say, are they never, are they like, no, yes, this is God. Then, in some temple, we see that there is a fly on the face of God. And God can't remove the fly on his own face. So, how can he do the problem from my face? <laughs> argue like this and this, this is basically very intelligent. But actually it is showing a severe intelligence deficiency. <laughs> Why intelligence deficiency? Because God manifests as the deity for a particular purpose. What is that purpose? So some people feel actually financially uh, some of the fanatic Islamic people they will desecrate the deity. And they will say, where is your God? We desecrate it. There is no God over here. So actually God manifests in this material world as the deity not to prove his omnipotence, but to exhibit his compassion. The purpose of every manifestation is to be very important. It's very important to understand. So now, to understand is better. Let's consider that there are there are many religious scriptures. Even those uh, religions who don't accept the deity form, they also consider their books, their religious texts are sacred. Now, if somebody wants, uh, if somebody is an atheist or an iconoclast, now can that person tear up the scripture and burn it? He can. Now, if you tear up and burn the scripture, now they say, where is this? How is this the word of God? How is it sacred? I just burned it. Then, the, whenever God manifests through matter, it is not to prove the omnipotence. It is to exhibit his compassion. And the compassion of God, whether it is through the Bible or the Quran, that is not understood by trying to burn those books. But that is understood by approaching those books with a loving devotion. It's a submission with devotion. And can see that is the great wisdom in them. Similarly, when Krishna comes as a deity, he does not come here to manifest his omnipotence. He comes to exhibit his compassion. So when we approach him with submission, with devotion, then we will see the presence of God in our hearts. We will see the purification that comes. 
And yet, sometimes the fly comes in the meeting. The Lord is the Lord has come as our guest uh, to receive service from us. And if there is a fly on the deity, that is not the blemish of the deity, that is the blemish of those who are serving the deity. Because God has come here not to exhibit the omnipotence. In this world, Krishna exhibits the omnipotence in only one way. That is as Brahman. As Kaalamu. Then no matter how powerful a person thinks I am, a stand will be destroyed. But otherwise, Krishna will exhibit the omnipotence. So, why does Krishna come here? He comes here so that, as a deity, so that we can see him with our eyes. We can touch him with our, with our hands. And we can touch his lotus feet, take his blessings. And not only that, we can trust him. We can feel it. Actually, we treat God as a regular guest. So, what for what we have invoked his presence, uh, not for him to exhibit his omnipotence, but to give, have an opportunity to serve him. So, to serve him, means it is our responsibility to take care of it. And God does not need our care. We need to take care of Him so that He can be completely So God is not different from His duty from, from the duty, but that non-difference is perceived only through devotion. And if there is skepticism of the deity, yes, as long as a person thinks that to see the contrast, the person who thinks that actually the forms of this world, they are utterly ordinary. Sometimes people say, you take the garland of the Lord. What is this garland? Or you take some cloth, which is offered to the deities. And they go, oh, this is so sacred. People will treasure it. Like this time, Jaitanya Tapa's house, when Lord Chaitanya, when Patarangal bought one piece of the cloth of the Lord, because they very So, any part of the Lord, whether it's a garland or whether it is uh, remnants of the cloth or whether it's the food that is offered, then it's considered sacred. You say, what is sacred? It's just, it's just in contact with the soul. But see the contrast. You know, sometimes when a person is intoxicated by lust, you may have seen in movies, some person sees the handkerchief of some woman. And in fact, seeing that handkerchief, you start imagining, oh, this girl is so beautiful. And you treasure the handkerchief. Actually, the handkerchief will probably be filled with the dirt of the nose. <laughs> The, the point is that actually we think that which is an ordinary material form to be something special, almost sacred. <laughs> <laughs> and that which is a divine form is useless too. This is our deity's vision. So actually, in Krishna it is to give us spiritual direction to us. So our senses are attracted to material things, they can be attracted to Krishna. Now Krishna, these are beautiful directions of Krishna. So those people when the, when the, from the Western tradition, the European Indomalians, they came to India and they went to Mathura and they saw a sweet looking picture. With butter on his mouth, butter in his hand. What is this? So this is God. <laughs> <laughs> their idea, their idea of God was some stern looking person who sits in the clouds and throws thunderbolts in the universe. This is only a small boy as God. Then they said, Oh, this is God. 
你讲对的，你就笑死的。Krishna as God is not here to
Krishna's have little senses. So Krishna says, I have compassion, I will come to you. And I will exhibit my form of you. So, the deity worship is actually ideal form of worship. Why ideal? Because, as I said earlier, people go to churches, mosques, synagogues. What do you do? Okay, the, the priest will give some lecture if you are there. But actually, there is nothing to say. You know, what do you do with your eyes? Just close your eyes in here. Close your eyes and go to sleep. <laughs> So actually, most the most the uh, this is the point I made. Compassion of God or deity worship is what generally religion requires that we reject the senses and go beyond the senses. But the deity worship gives us sensory experience of God. Can we have eyes with the eyes see God, with the tongue taste the pleasure of God, with the nose uh, smell the fragrance of the flowers and lotus of God. And whenever we go into the ear, hear the kirtan of the Lord. So, and if we are fortunate, we are not going to puja, then we can absolutely listen to the Lord. We can think that we can engage the sense of touch. And in this way, all our senses can be purified. So, actually, the same senses which you drag people down to materialistic uh, sense gratification of a sinful life, those same senses can be can elevate us, elevate us upwards. Through the meaning of the universe. That's why the universe is the ideal worship. Because all our senses get engaged, and this worship, which is ideal also because it is joyful. It's joyful. You can behold the deity, you can dance in front of the deity, sing for the deity, cook for the deity, decorate the deity, and it's the Prabhupada's great mercy. Now, what happened was, because of the uh, Western and uh, Middle East critique of deity worship, many Indian spiritual leaders are saying, actually God is found that we don't have to bother about the deities. You know, but Sri Prabhupada went to the West and he established the question. So when the Christian missionaries came to Orissa, they said, hey, what is this? Thousands of people going down in front of stone. Not in stone, it is wood. They're going down in front of wood. They said, you know, we will end the idolatry. But Sri Prabhupada, he went to London from where the missionaries had come and he did a camera in London. <laughs> and the descendants of those missionaries, they were dancing in those kirtans. Why? Because ultimately, the heart does not need drama. The whole heart needs experience. And deity worship can offer experience. So here, we are not talking about this religion versus that religion. Ultimately, all religions want us to develop love for God. And the deity worship is a very powerful way by which we can all develop love for God. And that's why there are many genuine seekers, even from those traditions who have not become Roman disciples. Initially, when they were the traditions, they were skeptical, man, it was in But when they actually start worshipping the deity, and they start seeing the purification that is happening, then when they hear other people condemn this idolatry, then they really, this is like a doctor saying, prescription wrong, patient cured. <laughs> what do you mean? The doctor is saying this is wrong, this prescription is wrong. You should not worship God, you should not worship God. Prescription is wrong. Then he says, the Vedic scripture are saying, you should worship the deity, this is wrong prescription. But patient is pure. The purpose of all spiritual paths should develop love for God. So here people have already developed love for God. So you can keep arguing, prescription is wrong, prescription is wrong. We'll all get cured. We'll chant, dance, and go back to God. That's pretty summarized what I discussed. Started by talking about the need for educated vision. Uh, illiterate person looking at a book and an educated person reading the book. 
Then we discussed about how form of God is mentioned in the biblical, the Quranic uh, scriptures as well as the Vedic scriptures. Vedic scriptures talk about God not having a form so that we can make anything tell. Uh, to, uh, beyond the material form, and ultimately understand the spiritual form. We discussed about the student, 40, 60, 80 percent to understand it, and the Akhaba. Rabbi did not eat at all, he waited in the And then we discussed about the different kinds of symbols. The descending, ascending symbols of where we imagine a connection between an object and a concept, which is not the relationship between the and God. And the descending symbols of photo and the person. So Krishna is like that. So Krishna is like that. And then, we say that actually Krishna manifests the beauty is not to prove his to supremacy, but to facilitate, to express his soul of his soul, his accessibility to us. So when we serve the Lord with devotion, we become transformed and purified. And that's why this is the ideal which engages all our senses and is joyfully performed. Thank you very much. Modification of Krishna with beard and mustache. That is an example of anthropomorphism. You know, we describe, we imposing our imagination on God. So what happened is historically, some people uh, they wanted to portray Krishna as a warrior god, so that they could uh, have Indians fight against the Britishers for the War of Independence. And they had to take all these pastimes of Krishna as you know as a, as a small goka 
as a small boy or as a Vrindavan. These are all, they are not important. Real important are Krishna is a warrior. And they try to ascribe warrior traits to God. But this is simply a product of the imagination. Krishna is eternally youthful and eternally all attractive. This sort of inscription is generally not given in the Vedic scriptures. Yeah. Because it is told to you. 
Sometimes there are so many temples in India and sometimes people go and close their eyes and they pray. And then they do you take darshan? Yes. Who was there on the altar? I don't know. <laughs> so what happens is the religion becomes a ritual. So the same word dharma is used in both places. But when Krishna says, Sarodhaman Parikhtenja, he says, the rituals which are their religion, you give them. And the supreme religion is the religion of love, the religion of bhakti. And Krishna comes to establish that religion. And that religion is what he is telling Arjuna take shelter of. Maamai kam shalom So, Sarodhaman Parikhtenja take shelter of. That is what Krishna is telling. So, uh, that's why again Krishna also doesn't say in the Bhagavad Gita that Hindu religion is greater or Christian religion is greater or Muslim religion. So, now it is an objective fact that within the Vedic tradition, there are far more supports for us to develop love for God. As I said, there is a description of the form of God, there are the duties of God, there are the many names of God, there are multiple past tenses of God, and all these can help us to evoke our love for God faster. So, the religion that Krishna comes to teach is the religion of the dharma, is the dharma of love. And not just the ritualized repetition of certain activities in the name of religion. Okay? Yeah. Is there a better way to talk with God? Is there a better way to talk with God? Better than what? Is there a method to talk with God? See, uh, actually Krishna is present right in our hearts. And Krishna will talk with us. But we are talking with the people of this world. That is the problem. We are busy. See, actually just like if you have a radio, or let's take a TV. So on the TV there are so many channels going on. Now, if we tune to a particular channel, then all the other channels vibrations are still there, but we don't have to. Because we are tuned to a particular channel. So, like that, Krishna is there in the heart and he is speaking to us. Krishna says, Matanamati Yanamamati, Dadami Mukti Yogamata. I am intelligence. So Krishna is speaking, but instead of the Krishna channel, we are tuned to the Maya channel. <laughs> so we are busy involved in the uh, hope of enjoyment in this world. And therefore, even when Krishna speaks, we can't hear. So, what do we have to do? We have to change the channel. We have to change the tuning. And the way we change our tuning is by chanting the name of God. So, the Hare Krishna Mahamantra is not just a ritual. It's a prayer. It's a prayer, oh Lord, please engage in yourself. Please help me develop love for you. So, the more we chant the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, there is a tuning of our heart. And as we tune our heart more and more, we will start getting Krishna's guidance from within also. So yes, there is surely a way to talk with God. Shri Prabhupada says that if we focus our attention in God by chanting His holy names, by hearing His holy message, see Krishna is there within the heart, but because we can't see Him within the heart, so Krishna manifests externally. He externally manifests with the Guru, He externally manifests with the holy name, He externally manifests with the scripture. So if we focus our consciousness on these external manifestations of Krishna, we show Krishna that I want to communicate with you. And then Krishna will start communicating with you. But if the external manifestations we neglect, then they are showing Krishna I am not interested in you. Then that's like we press the mute button. Krishna is speaking, but he can't hear. So we focus on Guru Sadhu Shah. On the, their instructions, the holy name. 
studying scriptures, they associate with devotees, we hear that message, we chant the holy names, by that we tune our heart. And then we can all talk to Krishna. Yes, we have my question is, uh, when we are in our office, we walk around uh, 10 to 12 hours. So, is there any way to simultaneously do our work and we do, we offer love to Krishna? Is there any way we can offer our work to Krishna by doing our work? Certainly. Uh, certainly. Actually, that is Krishna's all of us. Now, Krishna is there as a deity, but then you can make, if you have a computer, you can make the wallpapers of the deity on your computer. You can put pictures of Krishna where you can. You can have Krishna people going on. You can try to give Prasad to your colleagues. You can try to uh, share Krishna with you as far as possible with your colleagues. And you can create devotional atmosphere. Surely, Krishna, actually, among all the manifestations of God, the holy name is the most portable manifestation of God. You can take the holy name anywhere and everywhere. So, we can chant the holy name of God anywhere. You can chant it softly, you can chant it in the mind, you can chant loudly. And we feel the presence of Krishna. The holy name of Krishna is like a hotline to Krishna. So, if we chant the holy name, then what will happen is Krishna will manifest. But for Krishna to manifest, we have to show that we are eager for him. And that's why we need to give exclusive time to Krishna. So, in case, if we take out some time in the morning, we chant Krishna exclusively. Then we show Krishna that we are serious about connecting with him. And then, even when we are such other circumstances, when we are doing other things also, Krishna will manifest. Is he going to connect with me, but you have to do other things also? Then I'll help you. So the Hindi poet has said, that you know, if you say, I don't have time to chant Krishna's name, so, uh, so he's speaking on behalf of God. So he says, Krishna is saying, Tumhara man, Tumhare kaam ne, Tumhare dham ne. You know, if you think I have so much work to do, I don't have time to chant, okay, then I'll say in my abode. Tumhara man mere naam ne, Tumhare Tumhare kaam ne. So let's, one more question. How old is God? If the universe is 13.5 million years old, how old is God? <laughs> so, actually, the universe is like a baby, not even a baby in front of God. Because God exists beyond the time domain. Therefore, when we talk about God, we go particular age, 16 years old. Now that is not a material conception of age. Krishna is 16 years old and he is eternally 16 years old. He never grows older than that. Why? Because time is under his control. We are under the control of time. So God is the oldest person in the Bhagavad Gita. One of the Adhyam Purana Purusham Namayama he is the oldest person, he is a, but he is eternally useful. Why? Because time does not affect him. Time is his energy. So we will not be able to conceive of existence beyond the time dimension. But the point is that just as if an ant is moving over here, and an ant is moving over a part, there is a big blockage over here, and the ant doesn't know where those blockages come from. Now if I just lift the blockage and take it away, what happens is, where does blockage come from, where does blockage go? Because it exists in two dimensions. Whereas, we are going the, the object in three dimensions. So like that, Krishna exists beyond the time dimension. Because he exists beyond the time dimension, so he 
can manifest at a particular age for us, but that is the age he is literally. And you know, there are billions of years old, trillions of years old, there are so many universes of so many different ages, are not the only universe. But all the universes will come and go, but Krishna's abode is eternal. And it is that Krishna's abode that he invites us when he chants, when he plays his flute. Now Krishna is playing his flute to invite us back to his abode. His fire is saying the temporary word, come back to me. Many times you know, go to temple and they say that, you know, okay, different, God, they are giving us blessings, but Krishna is not giving us any blessings, he is in his own world, happy. No, Krishna is inviting us to this world. No, Krishna is saying, I am performing past in this future world. Please come and assist me. Unfortunately, when we come to the temple, we tell Krishna, Krishna, I want to perform past time here. You please assist me. <laughs> So, that is the materialistic level of worship where we think God, we drag God down to our level. But actually, the real part is we drag, we lift, we allow God to lift us to His eternal level. That is what happens when we practice pure and alloy devotion service. Any other questions? Yes, one last question. Why did Krishna send us here from the world? Krishna didn't send us here, we forced him to send us here. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to enjoy separate from we were with God and we, we were happy with it. But we wanted to enjoy separate from God. Thinking that we will enjoy better. Just like a small uh, baby, he says, My mother is cooking. He says, A girl, she says, My mother is cooking. And what she should do, she should assist in the cooking. She says, No, I want to cook, I want to cook, I want to cook. Mother says, Figure out how you came from Krishna, get out and go back to Krishna. <laughs> so, so, thank you very much for your very attentive hearing and intelligent questions. Let us welcome Sri Shada Gopinath. Sri Shada Gopinath, Nita Vishaka Devi Ki. Gopal Ji Ki. Sri Gopinath, Bhagwan Ki. Sri Gopinath, Bhagwan Ki.